Matt Pearson, the campus pastor of our West Franklin uh, congregation. Uh, one of the great privileges I have and, and some of the most fun I have is working uh, with our campus pastors, getting the sermon plans and, and, and all of that done. <sighs> My long wait is almost over. College football will start in about two weeks. I have survived another summer of baseball. If you have to adjust your uniform that much, get you a uniform that fits. I'm After every pitch, find gloves that fit. What's wrong? And so, oh, don't get me started on soccer. Have you ever seen guys run that far to go nowhere? And they'll run until somebody gets tired and he'll fall down like he's shot. And they'll all run and throw a bunch of cards at each other like they just, you know, going to play poker here for a little bit. And red card trumps yellow card and all that. And then the guy who was laying on the ground wallowing will get up and run off. I just, football. That's time. It's here. Uh, you University of Tennessee fans are excited because you have a new coach. Jeremy Pruitt. He was the uh, defensive coordinator at the University of Alabama last year. Uh, you guys hired him. And Jeremy's a good coach. You're going you're gonna to see a better season at UT. And he'll gradually get the recruiting turned around. And much as I hate to say it, Tennessee's probably going to be pretty good lately. Of course, he is one of, of several who share his same kind of uh, coaching tree. You have uh, Jimbo Fisher, who's now at A&M. Uh, you have uh, Muschamp, Will Muschamp, who's at South Carolina. Kirby Smart, of course, who is at Georgia. And the one thing that all of these guys have in common, the man. Now, Alabama locked him up till 2025 with more money than is in the state of Alabama. <laughs> I, I don't know. Did they just go in and say, here's all the money in all the banks in Alabama, and it's yours, coach, if you'll just stay. I don't know. But if you can't get the man, what do you do? You get the next best thing. You get somebody who's coached with him. You get somebody who understands his theories. You get somebody who has, who has been in the, in, in the season with him and understands what he's doing. So you can replicate that kind of winning tradition at whatever school you are hired at. That's why uh, Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher, Jeremy Pruitt, everybody is worth so much money is because they were on Nick Saban's staff. They know they are disciples of Nick Saban. So let me ask you a question. If our world, as messed up as it is, as broken as it is, as confused as it is, decides that it wants to find out more about Jesus Christ, that they've tried everything else and nothing's working, so maybe they'll find out more about this person named Jesus but they're scared they won't be able to find him. And they want to find the next best thing, somebody who knows him, somebody who's been with him, somebody who's worked with him, somebody who understands him, a disciple. Will they call us?
what they call you. That's what being a disciple means. It's the story that Paul, is, uh, Mark Matthew's telling in his gospel, fourth chapter. Stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll begin reading with verse 18. As he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, his brother Andrew. And they were casting their net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and they followed him. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. We pray, Lord Jesus, we hang around you so much. We pick up your most subtle gestures that we learn to talk like you, walk like you. And that the first thing the world says when they will see us is how much we look like you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Jesus came preaching. We forget this a lot. We talk a lot about what Jesus taught. We talk about what it meant. We talk about His miracles. But Jesus understood Himself as a preacher. Early in His ministry when the crowds were beginning to gather around, Peter found Him and said, hey, everybody's waiting on you. And Jesus said, let's go to these other villages that I may preach the Kingdom of God there because this is why I have come. It's hard to remember that the priority of the Gospel is the proclaiming of the Gospel. We've always had these um, uh, pen, uh, different ends of the pendulum, these extremes in the in history of the church, uh, going from what we would call the social gospel, that is we want to meet people's needs, uh, minister to their physical needs, their emotional needs, their mental needs, and, uh, and, and as well as spiritual needs. And by doing that, have the opportunity to share the gospel. Now, as you know, in history, uh, we became so concerned with the physical needs of the person that we forgot to share the gospel. Uh, and the words of one missionary who told the story of a young man uh, having surgery on his legs, and he ended up spending three life sentences in prison. And her sentence was, we spent so much time teaching him how to walk, we never told him where to walk. Okay? That, so that's the thing. The thing over here is that we, we just, you know, we'll, we'll go door to door, we'll hand everybody the four spiritual laws, uh, we will witness to you at the drop of a hat, but there's no real concern for the whole person. So we're always bouncing back and forth between these two extremes with history. But in all of that, one of the things that you and I have to remember right now in this postmodern everything is that we are sent to proclaim the good news of the Kingdom of God. The priority of your day 
is not whether or not you get your to-do list. It's whether or not you are aware of how the Spirit of God is working around you, in you, and through you to find those moments when you can share the good news of who Jesus is, what He taught, what He showed us in the Scripture. We have no higher calling than to share the good news of Jesus' coming, His teaching, His, His death, and His resurrection, and His promise to come again. That's it. Everything we do is about getting that message across. Now, he's beginning his public ministry. Uh, he begins it with his baptism with John the Baptist. From there, he and the Father go into the wilderness for 40 days and have this long discussion about what kind of Messiah Jesus will be. Will it be a Messiah that, that uh, that provides entertainment? Will He be a Messiah uh, that feeds the people and, and, and keeps their loyalty because He meets their basic needs? What kind of Messiah would He be? And after the temptation, after the struggle, He comes out knowing who He is, what He is to do, and what it will cost Him. And He begins His public ministry by calling leaders. Now, He calls His first disciples four Four guys, two sets of brothers. Both are fishermen. He calls them. Now, did you notice none of the four volunteered? None of the four said, hey, I'm not doing anything right now. I'll be glad to come after you. No. They probably knew Jesus. Probably had heard Him teach. Probably had had some kind of conversation with Him. Uh, it's a very small place. And if you've ever been to the Holy Land, they'll take you to Compertium, and you can pick a rock up and throw it to the places where all the significant stuff in Jesus' ministry happened. It's just not that big a place. If they had been alive at the same time, they would, been, they would run into each other. They knew who He was. They were an acquaintance with Jesus. There's a lot of difference between being an acquaintance of Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus. Okay, somebody, some of us know Jesus. We know what He taught. We consider Him to be a really good guy. But we're not a disciple. We've never made that decision that we believe He has the words of life. So now Jesus calls, forces a decision. They're there doing what they thought they were supposed to be doing. If you were born in that time, you always did what your dad did. Their father was, fi was a fisherman. They were going to be fishermen. And they were going to be fishermen who threw the nets in the water. <laughs> now, don't, what was Matthew thinking about who would read his gospel? Because he had to explain, fishermen throw nets into the water. They threw nets into the water. Well, why don't they do that? Well, they're fishermen. Oh, okay. Doesn't have a whole lot of credit for those of us who would read this gospel later. They're doing what they thought they were supposed to be doing. They're following what they think will get them there. They're doing, a, a, a fisherman was a good life. Uh, they'd be able to provide for their families. They'd be able to take care of things. They were following what they thought would get them there. Now, now that's troubling for some of you because some of you have never thought that you made this decision. Right? You grew up. You went to high school. You behaved yourself because that's what everybody said you should do. Uh, you went to college. You didn't know what you wanted to major in, so you majored in what everybody else was majoring in. You graduated college. You walked across the stage, shook the hands of a bunch of people you'd never met before. 
walked off the stage and somebody said, now what are you going to do? I don't know. And somebody said, well, have you thought about this? And you took a job without ever thinking about it. You got married, you had a career, and it went from one moment to next simply because it seemed to you to be the next right thing to do. Everybody follows what they think will get them there. And if you're not following Jesus, whatever you're following won't. And sadly, like too many people in our nation, you will make really good time to a place you never wanted to be. Jesus forces that decision. He calls. Now, it's not an invitation to volunteer. It's not a check you watch and think about it. It's come or stay. Notice Jesus is walking along that shoreline. He's not stopping. Peter and Andrew, John and James have this moment to decide. If they hold on to the nets, if they stay on that boat too long, Jesus walks away and they will have decided. Jesus is calling. It's the way God starts things. He's always calling. If you want to read the Bible and have a central theme, one of the themes that you will pick up is how often God calls. God calls Abraham. God calls Noah. God calls Samuel. God calls David. God calls uh, Peter. God calls Paul. On and on the list goes. When God starts doing something, it begins with a call. You don't volunteer. You're named. Follow me. This is where I'm going, and this is what I want you to do. It always begins with a call, and it always begins when God is doing something new. Like He's doing now. in this place, in this time. God is calling you. Now, the difficult time of this moment, the difficult thing right now is that you have never thought about this decision right now. But understand, you are following whatever you think will get you there. And if you're not following Jesus, it won't. So Jesus calls. Notice what doesn't happen. There's no discussion about whether or not Peter and Andrew, James and John are qualified. There's no discussion from them about what's next. Where we're going. What are we going to do? How will we make a living? How will I feed my family? None of that. 
None of those things that you would think anybody with any sense and any kind of understanding of due process would understand. We have to know some things before we go. No, you don't. Jesus is calling. Are you coming? That's it. Jesus is calling. Are you coming? You will leave this place and follow whatever you think will get you there. And if you're not following Jesus, it won't. Let's pray together. You bow your head, close your eyes. I'm not going to pick on you. This is one of those Sundays where I wish I had enough time to go and talk with you individually, to walk up to you and say, tell me, what are you following? Tell me, who are you following? Tell me, will who you're following, what you're following, get you to where you think you're going? Will it get you to where you want to go? Hear me as honestly as I can tell you. If you're following anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ, it won't. Your career won't get you there. Your dreams won't get you there. Only Jesus will get you there. Only Jesus has the power to deal with your mistakes and all the things you've done wrong. Only He has the power to put together all the things you've broken. Only He has the power to bring you home as lost as you are. Now I'm saying a whole lot of words. Here's what I know. Wherever you are right now, Jesus is waiting on you just as surely as he waiting on Peter and Andrew, James and John. And you're being called in this moment right here, right now to make a decision. To leave what you thought would get you there and follow the one person who can. So for some of you, that means as simple as becoming part of Brentwood Baptist Church and we will welcome you. Others, there's just some junk in your life. You'd like to talk to somebody and kind of air it out, kind of think through it. We've got counselors waiting for you right now at a big table that says next steps. They'll help you get any of that started. For some of you, it's the first time you've heard Jesus call, do not leave this place, not following after him. All of us are following what we believe will get us there. And if you're not following Jesus, it won't. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray the choices we make now are exactly what you want.